It's good to see you. It's good to be back. Um, we've had a couple of weeks off, been doing the various things, a bit of DIY, a bit of gardening, a bit of sailing. Went on a sailing course, learnt which end of a boat is which, <laughs> and which side to bail out if, uh, if it's going under. Um, we didn't capsize, we stayed afloat for the whole two days, and there was wind, so it wasn't just uh, that we didn't get any wind. Uh, so that's where, where, where we've been. Others are away, I know, at the moment, but it's good to be together, it's good to be here. Uh, with you again. There's nothing like worshipping with your home church, even if we're a, d- a reduced home church. Uh, we had a wonderful time last week, went to Everyday Wimbledon, one of our sister churches within the Newground family. Had a great morning, wonderful, but there's nothing like being back at home and with you guys. We're going to be looking at Psalm 127 this morning. We've been in the Psalms for some months, and I thought, why not? Let's continue with it for the summer months. There's so many of them, we, we're still just scratching the surface. Did you know that the Pilgrim's Way footpath is a matter of a few hundred yards up that way? If I'm pointing in the right direction, Philip, with local knowledge, I'm sure he can assure me that is the right direction, isn't it, towards the North Downs. Now, the Pilgrim's Way was the main route running east to west for thousands of years, so it's thought. Before the M25, I remember when it was built, actually, we had to go to Guildford a different way. Uh, Before the A25, before even the North Downs Way footpath, although some of it overlaps, was the Pilgrim's Way. It was called the Pilgrim's Way because at least since the 13th century, it was thought that Christians went as an act of worship on a journey, the 120 miles from Winchester Cathedral to Canterbury Cathedral along the Pilgrim's Way. That's what they did. And did you know that here we are roughly just over halfway between the two? So there you go. We're in the centre of the universe. I knew it was true, and I found a bit more evidence to that argument. Well, let me tell you about Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is the middle song of the Pilgrim's Playlist, a selection of 15 psalms known as the Songs of Ascents, chosen, selected for the Israelites to use as they worship approaching Jerusalem on on a trip, on a festival holiday, if you like, or holy day as they go up to worship at one of the celebrations in Jerusalem at the temple. So there we are, that's the context. And this is the middle psalm of those 15, Psalm 127. It will come up behind me, you can look it up or you can just listen. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So you'll have seen there that Psalm 127 is divided into two little parts, and they're quite different, and they're on themes that aren't typical of the Psalms. The first one really talking about our work life. The second part talking about children. We haven't any small children here. Oh, we have. Hello, Rose. Good to see you. But we do also have some teens and some bigger children. You're still children. That's okay for today. It's all right. It's, it's, it's not patronizing. Well, maybe it is. Uh, I'm a child. You're a child, I'm sure, to somebody. Um, So it's a little bit differently, but stylistically, this psalm is a little bit different as well. It reads a bit more like wisdom literature, because lo and behold, it was written by Solomon, 
who only penned two of the Psalms but wrote most of the Proverbs. So it doesn't feel like a song in the normal way that we're used to a psalm doing so. Really, in summary, this psalm is reminding us that God is interested in the normal, everyday parts of our life. Yes, high days and holidays are great, but God wants to be involved in every day. And that includes our work life, it includes children. So let's look at those two themes. Or perhaps it is a common distraction for pilgrims as they're traveling to an event to start thinking about work. Maybe it's like for you, you're on a day trip, you're going on holiday and there are pings coming from your phone because you've forgotten to turn the email or the text alerts off and you're reminded immediately of all the things that are waiting for you on your to-do list when you get home again. Well, I think this psalm is referring to three types of work, if you like, three types of activity, things that we do. Firstly, it's the jobs that we do to provide a roof over our our heads and food on the table. All the things we do, if you like, to survive and to provide for our household. It can include our paid employment, but it can include also, I think, our housework and our home maintenance and our other projects. Jesus, we're told, is both the creator and the sustainer. And so, lo and behold, he's made us in his image, and we carry some of those kind of work elements in how he's built us. So, some of us get involved in building the house, maybe literally, metaphorically. We're active in creating, in establishing things. Some of us are involved in guarding the city, protecting and preserving. So you can see those things. Some of us are better at pioneering. Some of us are better at sustaining and keeping things going. Some are better at starting new projects or businesses or initiatives. Others are good at just filling in, checking out the feasibility, keeping things going. And both in God are valid. They're an expression of him, the creator and sustainer. And both of them, this psalm tells us, can have some eternal value. The New Testament tells us, whatever you do, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, in Colossians 3. But I think it's also talking to us about the house of God in this psalm. As the pilgrims got closer to Jerusalem, they'd begin to see, I guess, the temple rising above the city walls of Jerusalem. It was on a hill, Mount Zion. And this psalm is trying to get the attention off the wow factor of this magnificent building and city and onto the wow factor of God, a bit like we were doing this morning in our worship. No, it's God who's good. I think Jesus was doing the same with his disciples as they approached Jerusalem for a feast one day. Again, their eyes, wow, look at the stones on this building. Look at the, look at the relief on it. Look at the amazing structure. And God, no, 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 look at God who's behind it. And I think there's a reminder here in in this psalm for those on pilgrimage to worship at the temple that actually, no, no, it 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 was God who set up the temple. He provided for Solomon. He provided for Zerubbabel when the exiles returned. It was him that made things happen. And he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in days, Jesus said. Don't look to the things. And we know, don't we, that Jesus is building his church. We now are the house of God. We, the people, made up of living stones. And Jesus is building the church. And nothing will stop it. Not even the gates of Hades will overcome it. 
And so in terms of church life, we can strategize church growth, filling up those empty seats around you. We can fill up our diaries with church activities and meetings. But really, unless God's in it, we're wasting our time. So as well as thinking about your day job, is God in this? Am I applying my faith to how I go about the things I do in an average day, we can also apply that principle to the things we're involved in in church life. Uh, do I have faith for the things I'm involved with at King's? Am I serving in the right areas of church life? And thirdly, I think in relation to work, there's a kingdom reference. We often refer to dynastic monarchies as, the, as houses. So Solomon was that of the house of David, or Elizabeth, the queen, she's of the house of Windsor. And so when Solomon penned this, unless the Lord builds the house, I think to an extent he at least was thinking about the kingdom. He, he, he was aware, I think Elizabeth is as well, that it's God who protects the boundaries and maybe extends the boundaries. It's, it's up to him how things go. And it's the same for us in the kingdom of God. It's not geographic in the same way. It's, it's much more fluid. But we're wanting to see the kingdom of God extend and be protected and be preserved where it is in our civil, in our social, in our community life as a nation. So some of us become hospital chaplains or or school governors or local councillors or charity trustees. Some of you I know help at food banks and night shelters and befriending schemes and safe houses. Some of us got involved in crisscross or New Day. Some have helped at the baby cafe or Oxted School with the readers program. We're wanting to see God's kingdom extend, but only he can do it. And thinking about all these types of aspects of work, I think this psalm gives us two encouragements. The first one is this, that our work, our activity, our doings can be fruitful, not futile. That is possible. I think the psalm is humbling us enough to acknowledge that we can achieve nothing without God. But it also is encouraging us to believe that as a Christian, it's possible to do things that are fruitful significantly in his eyes and not futile. Even the normal things, even the everyday things. I mean, this psalm is talking about toiling for food, our daily chores and jobs, the mundane aspects supposedly of our lives, can be infused with the purpose of God and can achieve things for his, that delight him and are significant eternally. I think Jesus confirmed both of these possibilities when he said this in John 15, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no middle ground, there's no third way. There's no, well, you know, you can kind of muddle through and, you know, a bit of fruit. And a bit. No, you can do nothing without God but you can bear much fruit as you remain in him. So, are you doing the things that God wants you to do? That's a good question. And at this end of a kind of academic cycle, if you like, although it doesn't affect us all directly, it's a good time to think that through. Lord, what am I meant to be involved in? What should I no longer be involved in? What should I uh, focus on, perhaps? The litmus test, I think, is faith. Do I have faith for this? Is this an expression of my worship to God? Is it an expression of my faith in him? And the second lesson, I think, around work is to get the balance right. It's balance, not busyness, that we're called to. But there's so much to do. And as Christians, we can feel that all the more. Oh, there's even more to do now. 
I've been alerted to this whole spiritual dynamic of life. But I can tell you, I've double-checked. Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit. Busyness is not there. Love, joy, peace, patience, all that kind. Busyness is not there. It's not. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Being crazy busy, burning the candle at both ends, going to bed late and getting up early because there's so much to do is not what faith in action looks like, says this psalm. Reminds us. It's easy to think, isn't it? I'm indispensable. It will only happen if I do it. It will fall apart if I'm not involved. I remember a time I'd been at my uh, employment for 12 years and I felt it was right to apply for other jobs. I think God was directing me to that for various reasons. But 12 years in that industry, in that job, maybe for all of us these days, is a long time to be in one job. And whilst I was expectant that God was going to guide me into something good and helpful and beneficial, I must admit, secretly, I was hoping and expecting that things would fall apart when I disappeared. You see, I've been there 12 years. I, I knew how to get things done in that organization. I knew all the clients. I knew all the projects. I knew what was what. Was what. And there's something in my heart, and maybe you, you can resonate with this at times, with it. I just hope it all falls apart. I don't really, but I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it didn't, did it? Of course it didn't. Life moves on. Life carries on. We're not as indispensable as we think. And God wants us to understand that in the right way. No, we can do nothing without God. But with him, oh, fruitfulness. Look at verse 2 here. It says, for he grants sleep to those he loves. If you're struggling with sleep, hold on to that. You're loved by him. He reminded us of that this morning in our worship. He grants sleep to those who, who love him, who, who, who he loves, rather. But I think if you note from the uh, footnote, there's an alternative translation. The, the theologians are unsure which way it's going to go on this one. And I wonder whether the ambiguity is actually um, is, 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 is deliberate. The alternative translation, if you've got it in your Bibles, is that while we sleep, the Lord provides for those he loves. See, while we're asleep, when we're doing nothing, God is at work. He's doing things. He's providing for you. He's even using the things you've said, the things you've done in the day, to some eternal significance for others. Some of it you might be aware of, some of it you might be oblivious to. Jesus said something similar in one of his parables. He said that the kingdom of God is like, like a, someone scattering seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how. And it's like that for us. So not only avoiding, is avoiding crazy busyness good for your health, but balancing work and rest demonstrates your dependence on God. Which I think is why God's built us so that we need the rest. To remind us of that need for him. So are you doing too much? Would be a question to take away. Have you embraced rest as an act of worship? Have you embraced saying no as a response of faith at times? So let's look at this second theme. It seems to be a bit of a jolt, but if you can imagine on a long car journey, and you've got some little people in the back. Some of you can resonate with this. And at some point in the hours up the motorway or in the traffic jam, you might feel a bit of a in the back of your in the back of the seat, yeah, Get a bit of a kick, maybe, or a nudge of some variety. Maybe at some point on that journey, you could predict someone's going to desperately need the toilet, and you've only just passed a service station. I don't know. Has that happened to you? Or, or, or maybe 
every 10 minutes. Are we there yet? Are we, are, are we there yet? Yeah. That's normally me. Um, but God wants to remind us of something. Maybe these pilgrims, as they traveled to the festivals and the feasts, and of course they went as a family, as a whole family, possibly extended families, clans, villages went together on journey to the festival at Jerusalem. Perhaps they selected this psalm to go in the middle so that they were all forced to sing these lines about children. Because otherwise, we might finish the sentence ourselves. Children are dot, dot, dot. No, we're not meant to, we're meant to sing this song. You know, we used to put tapes in. They don't do tapes, no. CDs, yeah, if, if things are getting a bit tetchy in the car. Yeah, you used to put a CD on and wheels on the bus going around. Well, this, this is God's chosen replacement for that. It goes like this. Children are a heritage from the Lord. <laughs> Offspring are a reward from him. I'm not as good as you, Claire, sorry. <laughs> it won't become a crisscross song next year, I can tell. He wants us to sing these things. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from him when you have to get up in the middle of the night. Children are a heritage from the Lord. <laughs> when someone's been sick on the side of the road. Offspring are a reward from him. Blessed are those with lots of kids. Blessed are those with lots of kids. I'm very grateful it's not me. No. You see, to us, heritage refers to things from the past that we value. But to God, heritage refers to things in the future that he values. God is often looking forward when we're stuck looking backwards. See, he's looking forward to his unfolding plans that's going to go from one generation to the next to the next. He's itching to get on with the story. It's good news on good news. It's not going to be a peak moment and it's going to be bad news. There will be bad news and that may increase. But the good news is coming. Jesus is going to return. He's won victorious. He's looking forward. The heritage is ahead of us, not behind. You see, children are a gift of grace from a generous God to us. We don't deserve you, Rose. We don't earn you. He's gifted us with children. I was listening to the Radio 2 the other day, because you do that on long journeys, don't you? Steve Wright in the afternoon, or who is it this week instead of Steve Wright because he's away on holiday? Why does Steve Wright have to go on holiday when I'm on holiday? It's so annoying, because he's so good. Anyway, you get these factoids. You get these factoids? You get those? Factoid of the week, factoid of the day, actually, probably of the half hour. They come out with them every now and then, don't they? Was, do you know how many children uh, has one mother born uh, more than any? You know, what's the most number of children that one mother has had in her lifetime? You were listening, were you? Or do you know it anyway? You just know it anyway. Do you know her? It wasn't, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I looked it up. It is in the Guinness Book of Records. But, you know, with the rest of that, I don't know. But it's, it's, a, it's recorded somewhere. It, she was a Russian, uh, 18th century, I think, peasant. And in 29 pregnancies, gave birth to 69 children. That's 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four quads. Might bring a few tears to our eyes if it's not the salt in them as we throw it over our shoulder. But God wants us to sing, blessed is the one whose quiver is full of children. And you know, if you, you, we may never have 69 children of our own, but you may not have children of your own, but under your radar, in your universe, with an opportunity to influence and impact through teaching, through aunts and uncles, through your relatives, through those down your street, through those you employ, I'm going to say more the merrier, more the merrier.
Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or a godparent, whether you're an aunt or an uncle or a teacher, whether you served at Crisscross on New Day, Baby Cafe or Oxted School, God wants you to know and believe that children are a blessing. Keep singing the song. You know, I think it's like I'm encouraged that at King's Church, two of our relative strengths are our children's work and our youth work. For over 100 children at Crisscross, was it Claire, this year? Fantastic. How many were you at to New Day? 20 odd? 24? Two dozen? Give or take, who's counting? Two dozen young people to New Day this summer. We should thank God for that. We should uh, pray that that would continue. But I was looking at the rotors for the next coming term, and I guess it didn't feel quite right to me. It didn't fit comfortably that I noted that we only have one guy, one man, serving our North 11s on a regular basis in our children's work areas. And I think it was Jesus, as a 30-something, single, working-class bloke, who famously, recorded in three Gospels, made crash the main thing. We might scratch our head and it might look odd to us if somebody like that turned up and, uh, and the children were gathered to him and he spent time with them, interacting with other people's children. The disciples didn't get it either. They were a bit puzzled. But he said, no, 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 he, he was indignant. He called the children to him. Let the children come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So his application, could you serve our children? Friday night? early or later in the evening, for an hour a month maybe, on a Sunday morning, put the crisscross 2019 date in your diary. And secondly, regarding children, I think there's an encouragement here for us to be warriors, not worriers. An interesting description here of children. Children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. That's strange. If you get a proper bow and arrow in your hands, like we did at the men's weekend away, a bit like question of sport, this. You can't quite see the identity of the mysterious sportsman. Any ideas? Martin. Yes, it's you, Martin. But you realise, this is a lethal weapon. This is dangerous. There's rules. You have to stand behind the line and not point it at anybody. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. It can, it can harm. You, you realise it's important. This is not just a toy. It's a bow and arrow. And this is what Jesus is likening children to in this psalm. Listen to how Jesus prophetically described his childhood. I found this in Isaiah 49. He said that before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. Look at this bit. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. You see, on the one hand, it's God the Father who's the warrior in this picture. And he has fashioned and polished Jesus like an arrow. He's concealed him in his quiver, if you like, for the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And then, in the final three, he's shot him into the bullseye of God's purposes. Now, for Jesus, that was teaching, that was healing, that was discipling the twelve, that was uh, laying the foundations for the church, that was ultimately dying on the cross for us and our sins. I think we can take encouragement from that. For our children, those under our remit, whether biologically or otherwise, we can trust God for our children. We can believe that our children are in God's warrior-like hands and quiver. I think it must have been some comfort to Mary and Joseph. 
If you remember, this is some encouragement as well for us. They lost Jesus, age 12, on their journey back from one of these festivals. They were probably there on the way singing the same songs as 127. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Oh, children, yeah, 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 children. Uh, where's Jesus? I thought it was with you. I thought it was with you. He's gone. I think they had other children by then, you see. I don't think it was just like, just Jesus. And how could they forget their only child? They, well, anyway, I'm not trying to make excuses for them. They forgot him. They lost him. Three days later, they found him in the temple. Can you imagine that? We lost one of our girls for three minutes on the Paris metro. And we, that was horrible. Three days. She, she turned up on the next train, thankfully with some kindly folk that God had provided as a solution, like angels for us. But on the other hand, I think this is a metaphor for us. We're the warriors, into which hands our children are, are the arrows. If we're parents, if we're aunts and uncles, if, if, if we're teachers, if we're in the children's work, if in, in the youth work, what are we meant to be? The world is, 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 we've got to be everything to these children. But no, 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 God will say, you need to be warriors for them. You can't provide them with every experience. You can't provide for them the best education necessarily if you can't afford it. But this is what you're meant to be. You're meant to be like warriors, like I am with you. You see, as well as being the body and the bride of Christ, we're the army of God. And I believe we're meant to carry children in our hands and quiver as we go into our spiritual battles of our everyday lives. Children, you see, become fashioned and polished arrows as they see our faith life played out before them. We're neither to remove children from the front line and completely shield them from it. We're neither either to, uh, to, to expose them to the front line and leave them there. No, we're to go to the front line and they're with us, concealed and held by us. Why? Because maybe then they will be better prepared for their own spiritual battles ahead because they will have to contend with their opponent, it says in this psalm. You see, it's God who fires them into their futures. It's God that propels children into his purposes and plans, the things he's prepared for them. We can't do that bit, but we can, we can help them. So that when the battles come, when the tough times come, they can press on, they can press through, they can contend with their opponent. They've been given a quiver eye, a quiver's eye view of life in God. So, just to finish then, as we pilgrims progress through our life, let's sing this halfway there song. It's a song of faith in God. It's a song that reminds us to put our trust in him to believe that God can and will use us in our workplace, whatever that is, and in discipling the next generation. Our work can be fruitful and not futile in him if it's driven by faith. So we're to aim for balance, not busyness. Children are a blessing from God, not a burden. And we're to be warriors, not warriors, in our nurture of them. Amen? Amen. Brilliant.